Welcome to Passion and Purpose, a podcast with Jimmy Cyber and the Antioch Movement. Whether this is your first time with us or you've been with us for a while now, our desire is that by the end of our time together, you can say that you've fallen more in love with Jesus and have a greater passion for Him and His purposes in the earth. Thanks so much for joining us. And we hope that you enjoy today's episode. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us again today with our Passion Purpose podcast. Um, it is such a delight to be able to interview and hear from so many of our friends, people who love Jesus and have found his victory and his grace in so many different areas of life. Um, today, we have a special treat. We're going to hear from Andrew Franklin. Andrew and his wife, Jordan, uh, serve as lead pastors at our church called Mosaic Eastside in Seattle, Washington. They're a part of the Antioch movement. They have uh, been a part of uh, our church staff and friends from Antioch Norman uh, before they moved to Seattle since 2009. And they are pastors, friends, and leaders. The uniqueness of their lives is that both of them found incredible victory in Jesus from sexual brokenness. Uh, Andrew's background came from struggling through the challenges of homosexuality and for Jordan came through the struggles of finding victory uh, over uh, an adulterous relationship that she'd been a part of. And both of those things have touched all of us in some way, family or friends, and we are all needing a way forward today, not just for those issues, but all the issues that are just so abundant everywhere that we turn, and God has a different path for us. And Andrew took us into a powerful word um, on a Sunday morning in Antioch, Waco. You can go to YouTube and get that word from October 24th. But I wanted to make sure this week that you got to hear uh, firsthand on our podcast uh, from Andrew. Later on, we're going to hear from them together as a couple. But I want you to join us as we jump into Andrew Franklin talking about the power of the cross, the power of the gospel in the midst of our sexuality uh, for the glory of Jesus. Before I do anything else, I just want to uh, say thank you to you guys and to Jimmy and Lori. You know, you'll hear some more of Jordan and I's story uh, today and tomorrow, but uh, we were at, at a point in our lives when we found Antioch that we needed a church that would be simple and clear about who Jesus is and what his intentions were for us. And, and in, the, in the 10 plus years that we've been part of the movement since then, Every time we're around, we are just reminded of the clarity and the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the way it restores all of our lives, no matter our background. So thank you, Jimmy and Laura, for leading in that simple and clear way. It's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Uh, I want to introduce you to my family. Can I do that really quick? Uh, this is my crew. Uh, right next to me is Jordan, my amazing, passionate, fiery wife. Uh, we met at a life group at Antioch Norman uh, some years ago. So if you're looking for a godly spouse, go to life group, you know. Uh, and uh, so, so thankful uh, for how that community came around us. We have four kids now. Will is in the white shirt there. He's seven years old. Alice is five. Elliot's three. And little Annie's just 14 months. So, you know, Jesus said life to the fullest, right? We've got a lot of life going on and a lot of joy and a lot of drama and I wouldn't have it any other way. So if you see them out in the, in the lobby as they come into second service, I'll give you the key. Don't say to Jordan, wow, it looks like you got your hands full. 
Anyone who's had young kids knows it's like, thank you for sharing that. I <laughs> helps so much. I feel so much better now. <laughs> no. Uh, let's just go before God. I want us to just to bring our hearts and our minds before God. Uh, God, we're, we're here for you. And God, we need your wisdom and revelation about our bodies, about our sexuality. God, we live in a world... Uh, that just brings a lot of confusion to all of us. So Holy Spirit, I ask not, not for the little things that I've prepared. I ask for your spirit to speak, your spirit to move in this room. You who search the minds and hearts, would you search our minds and hearts today and shine the light on where you want to bring your healing, where you want to bring your freedom, where you want to bring forgiveness uh, to, to take us away from sin and shame and to walk us into the fullness of life, God. We need you for that. You're the only one who can do it. We look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I am so honored to be here and to begin this time where we're looking at how does the truth of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ, how does he change everything for us in the realm of our bodies, our sexuality? And it's important. It is so important in this time. And I just want to make clear, it's not important just because the world's really loud about it right now. It's not important just because it's a hot topic. It's important because every single one of us has a body. Every single one of us is gonna stand before Jesus someday and answer to how we, how we stewarded this body made in the image of God to bring the love of Jesus to this world. That's why it's important. Jesus said that the whole world will, will know that we are his disciples by what? By the way that we love. So I don't want you to listen today to think about, you know, your zinger of a statement that you can give to your friend who's in some sort of whatever. What does Jesus have for you today? You have a body. You have a desire to love and to be loved in return. You have the capacity to show the world the love of the living God. Let's get there today, amen? And first, to get there, we have to begin with this thought of like, why is it hard to get there? Why is sexuality an area that I think, I mean, raise your hand if, I mean, I, don't, I hope I'm not alone here. It sometimes feels so complicated, right? It sometimes feels like, what, like I, I think I know the truth, but like, how do I say that? And what, what, you know, like maybe I don't know and maybe I'm wrong. And, and, and I, we have to begin by recognizing that we, we haven't stewarded this truth super well. And I want to say there's reasons why. It's not, it's not just that you're some bad Christian. There's reasons why. And I think first and foremost, we have to recognize that we, live in, we do live in a world, you're, you're surrounded every day in a spiritual atmosphere that's very dark around these topics. And, and, that, and where deception is everywhere in these topics. And that affects us in ways that I think none of us totally see. I, I think we're, with the unseen warfare, we're unaware of many times. Uh, I, you know, uh, we just moved uh, a year and a half ago or so to Seattle, Washington. And uh, one of the, the first nights we were there, it's within the first couple of weeks we were there, I had a, a dream, I fell asleep and I had a dream that was like so defiling and it was so graphic and it was stuff that like I'd never, I'd never struggled with, which is saying something. I've struggled with a lot, <laughs> you know, there's not much that's past me. But I woke up from the stream and I just felt so defiled and dirty. And I, I kind of didn't want to talk about it because it was embarrassing. It's like, what was that about? Uh, but I did the thing that Jesus has just shown me over and over and over again. You got to do it. You just got to come into the light. And so I, I went over to Andrew Bach, who's the lead pastor at Mosaic Seattle. I'm so thankful for that, for him as a comrade and as a leader. And I said, hey, I got to tell you something. It's kind of embarrassing, but I had this dream last night and this is what it was. And he didn't bat an eye. He just goes, yeah, welcome to the war zone. 
you're in a place where some principalities. So Jesus needs to give you an upgrade in your authority. It's like, amen. We live in a, in a culture that's pretty dark around these topics, so we all need an upgrade in authority, amen? So that's, that's part of why. Uh, and, and it affects us, you know, the first, the first kind of defiling dream I ever had like that, uh, it wasn't that specifically, but the first kind of dream like that I had, I remember vividly, and I was in first grade. I was on a family trip, fell asleep in the backseat of the car, and I had this explicit graphic homosexual dream. I didn't know what sex was. I wake up and I go, what, what was wrong with me? What was that about? And I didn't know what I know now that I needed to just get that thing in the light so it could lose its power. I thought, oh, that means something about me. And I wonder if anything, any, any just thoughts have come against some of you in this room and just made you go, well, what's wrong with me that I thought that? What does that mean about me? And instead of bringing it to the light, we just kind of keep it inside, right? And so we start to lose our authority and we start to go, I don't know even what's going on up here or in here. What's wrong with me, you know? I uh, came home and, and I had some factors coming against me in my life. For me, uh, I, I shared a room with a family member who bullied me uh, many, many, many times growing up. Then I went to school and I got called sissy, queer, fag. And one memory I have that was just very vivid again, I was walking home from school one day and along this busy street and these other guys in my class just came and pulled my pants down in this, in this busy street, called me some names and ran away. And I remember walking back home from that just going, what's wrong with me? Like what makes these boys just think like that that's who I am and that, that that's something that they can do and get away with with me? I don't, I, what's wrong with me? What did they see in me? What did they see in me that made them think that, made them do that? I bet I'm not the only person in this room that had someone else do something to you that just made you feel dirty, weak, less than. Not image of God, but like, what, what, what is, what's up with me? It defiles us, right? These experiences defile us and it makes us go, I don't really know. I don't, I don't know what God thinks about me because all I'm hearing is, is stuff that's pretty bad. For my wife, uh, Jordan, you'll hear her story more tomorrow, but you know, hers was a little more generalized. She would say that she grew up just kind of with this vague sense underneath that like, I'm not okay. And it's, and, and I need to put on a face because if people saw like all the insecurities I have and the messiness inside, they just wouldn't like me. So I'll just present, I'll present, you know, how many of us live our life presenting, but with this underlying sense of dread, like, I don't know what it means to be a man made in the image of God for the dignity of woman. I'll just put on a face. I'll pretend. I'll do what I think that means, but I don't really know. So that kind of makes us lose our, our authority. Then we have to be honest too and just go, okay, so we live in a broken world where there's spiritual principalities that affect us. We live in a broken world where people do bad things uh, that affect us and really defile us. But we also have to take a look and say, part of why I don't have authority in this area is my own choices, my own sin. It's what I do in light of the things that have come against me, right? I'm not just a victim here. And, uh, and so for me, I started to, to really lose more and more of the authority that God gave me over my body uh, when, when I started choosing. You know, I don't think it necessarily started this way, but I, I think I, I kind of stumbled into this thing where 
in my mind, I would begin to fantasize and think, well, these, these boys in school have been so mean to me, but what if one of them just wanted me? What if one of them just loved me and wanted all of who I am? That would feel amazing. But what I began to do is that would be my go-to place. I'd have a hard day at school. I'd feel insecure, like people don't like me. And I'd just go home. It's like, I know where to go to make myself feel really good. And sexual fantasy began a stronghold in my life. And it was just my go-to. I'd put on face, I'd present, I was in youth group all the time, but it was like, this was actually my refuge. My actual refuge was to say, what if, uh, what if I was just wanted in my depths and in all of me by these guys? And as happens with sin, uh, a little bit's never enough, right? Because sin doesn't satisfy the human soul. Only Jesus can do that. So with sin that doesn't satisfy the human soul, it's never enough. So I, I fantasize, I fantasize some more, it's never enough. And pretty soon I'm choosing to go and see how can I have a romantic encounter, a sexual encounter that can, that can make me feel wanted in the way I so desperately want to feel wanted. And, and so I, I began step by step to, to just compromise and compromise and know that I'm not, I'm not doing something that, that is in alignment with God's word, but it was almost like, I can't even see, I can't even see out of my feelings by this point. I can't even see out of my desires to know what God's will is. All I'm alive to is this appetite in me, this insatiable appetite in me for love and the way that it feels like it's gonna get met. So, so I, I gave away my authority and, and lived in a place of compromise, still putting on a good face but just deep divides uh, to, where, to where when I went to college, I went to the University of Oklahoma and, and, and I thought I was gonna go there and be the light of Jesus to the musical theater and the performing arts community. And it took a few months before I just started getting eaten alive by everything going on out there. And over the course of a couple months, I became gay identified and I got to a point where I, could, I, I so could only see what other people had said about me, what my feelings said about me. And, and so I came out of the closet, I lived gay identified and it was like, if you come against this, this what I'm presenting to you as my new gay self, if you come against this, you come against me and you better not. I remember a few Christians just coming to me and saying, hey, I think God is better for you. And I did not treat them kindly because it felt so threatening for someone to come against the only way that was in my mind that I could ever feel loved and accepted. For my wife, she, again, she, she's living with this in, inner sense of dread. It's not okay to, to just feel all this mess inside. But then she goes to this uh, Christian school and, her, and she has a Bible teacher that really, for the first time, makes her feel like it's okay. This mess inside of me is okay. I can be known and I'm not gonna get judged. And then this Bible teacher who says, it's okay, you, just, you, you can be exactly how you are. This married Bible teacher ends up entering into a sexual relationship with her. And although there's, there's so much there that the Lord's had to work healing in her, she had to recognize that part, part of what was going on was that she, she, she became so consumed and obsessed and she put all her hopes on this man that could make her feel something to make her feel okay inside. And again, it was never enough. It was never enough. And if someone came to her, as many people did, and said, this is broken. This is really sad. You have to get out of this. She's, who are you? Who are you? You're not taking away this feeling. Only this man can do that. And so, uh, so yeah, we end up all of us at varying levels. Again, your story is probably different than Jordan's and mine. But what does your sin look like? Where have you compromised? 
I don't say that in a way to judge. I'm saying we need, in this conversation especially, we need to not be uh, so looking externally with what do I think about your life. We need to be really reflective to say, Holy Spirit, where have I violated your truth, your holiness, your way of love? Kind of leaves this, this veil of shame where all we can see is our own, our, our own feelings, what other people have said, and we become deadened to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, uh, so I ended up, you know, you saw the picture of my family, and that is very indicative of the beautiful life God has given us today. Uh, but when I first started wanting to follow Jesus, it wasn't that. I didn't have kids or anything, and this was more uh, who I would have been about 15 years ago. I would have walked in and sat in the back row up here, and I would have looked like this guy. I think we have a picture of, of me right around the time I gave my life to Jesus. And so there I am, I'm gay identified. I know that I, I, I know that I'm sexually addicted. And I know that every time that I try to, I've tried relationships, I've tried one night stand hookup culture, none of it's working. And I'm walking in the church so full of shame, so, so scared to even tell someone what I needed, but knowing Jesus has to have an answer for me because everything that I've tried has not given an answer. And I don't know what I'm going to do if someone doesn't save me out of this whole, this whole deal. I didn't even know what the whole deal was. I just knew that I needed, I needed saving. And uh, so, so that's, where, that's where I'm coming from today is, is not like I have it all together now, but, but because the church, the church came and, and the body of Jesus came and began to teach me what was going on inside of my heart and how Jesus could actually, could actually secure me in love and be, as Ephesians 3.19 says, the love that surpasses all knowledge uh, so that he could actually make me okay. And uh, so, so we're gonna look at... Uh, the gospel today, just the simplicity of the gospel and how, how it applies. This is what I needed to know when I was that guy sitting in the back row going, what, what's going on here? So let's, let's look at this. Uh, what answer does Jesus offer for us in our, in our shame and our compromise and our questions? Uh, and how is he going to bring us back to dignity? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, it says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? I just want to, I want to pause and just say, it's actually the mercy of God that he makes things clear for us in a world that gives us so much confusion. He's saying, don't you know, don't you know what, what the kingdom of God looks like that's different? So let, let's continue. It's actually the mercy of God saying, I'm going to cut through all that you hear to, to say, well, here it is. I'm going to make it clear for you. And he says, do not be deceived. In other, words, in other words, Christians can be deceived by the worldly expressions of love. We can be deceived. He says, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral. I just want to pause here and say uh, uh, the fancy Greek word for the sexually immoral here is porneo. Porneo. So it's where, as you can imagine, we get the term pornography. So if you think, you know, the sexually immoral and you think about all those bad people doing whatever thing out there, uh, you could, I mean, you could really make a 21st century translation of this to say those who participate in pornography. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, porneo, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And... Such were some of you. Everyone say that together. Such were some of you. 
Such were some of you 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, people were leaving sexual immorality behind. 2,000 years ago, people were leaving adulterous relationships. 2,000 years ago, people were leaving homosexual relationships and identities, saying such were some of you, but you were washed. Thank you, Jesus. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Thank you, Jesus. Is this scripture a little too black and white for you today? We live in such a world of shades of gray, don't we? Is this a little too simplistic? Is what Jesus did a little too simple for you? Or is his forgiveness still enough for today? Is the way he separates us from the ways of the world and walks us into life, is it, is it powerful today? Is the way he justifies us and causes us to stand upright, is it still apply today? In our world of half-truths, is this a half-truth? Or is the blood of Jesus still sufficient today? I'm so thankful that the blood of Jesus is still sufficient today. Now, I wanna just pause here. I wanna I want dig into this, uh, but I wanna pause because I love God's word. Do you love God's word? Every time I study God's word, he shows me something new, something that I didn't know before. And I honestly, as you can imagine from my life, I talk about this scripture a lot. And I'm happy to, I love it. Uh, but, but this week when I was prepping this talk, I saw something that I'd never seen before. And if you have your Bible, you can look up 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, even if it's on your phone. If you kind of scroll up and see the header, the heading that this, that that scripture that we just read is under, the heading is, it starts in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 1. The heading is lawsuits against believers. Now raise your hand if you just read this scripture and got a revelation of how to handle a lawsuit against a believer. You know, it's like, is Paul just, did he just kind of go off on a tangent? Did he, you know, like I, I do it sometimes. It's like, oh, I don't know why I said that, you know? Is that what Paul did? And, and so I, I looked at that and I've learned enough and experienced enough in my life with God to go, if that doesn't really make sense, I need to dig because, because God doesn't make mistakes. You know, God doesn't have a tangent. And, and so as I looked at this, it's so fascinating. If we put 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 in context, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul has talked about that the church has had someone in sexual immorality in their church, and they're doing what I think many of us would love for our churches to do, which is just to kind of say, well, let's not judge. Let's let them come. Let's kind of do the live and let live and hope that, you know, Holy Spirit kind of shows them away because I don't really want to go there. That's what they were doing. And, and, and Paul corrects them and says, loving someone is, is not letting them go down this route. Loving someone is not letting them participate in pornography and bend towards an image on, on their phone or on your computer screen of someone defiling themselves. That's not the gospel. Uh, loving someone is not letting them uh, take someone else's spouse. That's bending towards a creature who can never satisfy them. That's not loving someone. Loving someone's not just letting someone go, go down their route of homosexuality and, and, and trying to find someone to complete them that can never complete them because they were never meant to complete them. That's not loving someone. We have to show them the way of Jesus. So that's what happens in 1 Corinthians chapter five. And then in chapter six is where he does say uh, some, something else that's happening in this Corinthian church, which is fascinating, I think, for us today, is that this church was taking their conflicts, the problems that were around there, and they were looking to the worldly system to provide answers and to provide a, a vision of justice for their problems that were kingdom of God problems that only God can, can solve and can identify. 
and he corrects them again. And he says, don't you know who you are, church? You're made to have authority over the whole earth. Don't abdicate your authority and look to worldly systems, worldly labels, worldly justice to bring about a, a, something that can only come from God. You're, you're made to judge the whole world. We're really familiar with Jesus saying, don't judge. And it's, it's so important. I can't look at someone and think that I'm better than them. And we should, we should live life knowing that God is doing a work in us to cause us to rule and reign over this earth. And it begins, this is, where, that's, this is the context of this whole thing. It begins with understanding our bodies. You're gonna rule and reign over the earth, begin by ruling and reigning over your mind. You're gonna rule and reign over the earth, begin by, by understanding in your heart what is righteousness and what is sin, what is love and what is lust. What is, what is honoring the image of God in someone and what is using them for your purposes? You better understand that. That's, that's step one to walking in the authority that God's given you. And he recognizes that, that people in this church 2,000 years ago had abdicated it. Such were some of you. you. You messed it up. Anyone in here lived out your sexuality, your life and your body perfectly? Jimmy, have you figured out love perfectly? <laughs> I feel in some ways more lost now than I used to, just in the sense as, as, as I walk in marriage, I'm like, oh, giving my whole self for the dignity of her, that's, that's big. Jesus, I need you more than ever before, right? So what, does, what did Jesus do 2,000 years ago that caused the church uh, to stand in this authority? And how does Jesus walk us into standing in this authority in a different way? So let's unpack this again. Uh, it's super simple, right? He says, you were washed you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of, the G of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So let's just, let's unpack that. I believe the simplicity of what God did uh, from the beginning is, is the same simplicity that can set us free today. And so what does it mean for Jesus to wash us? What does it mean for Jesus to wash us? Uh, when, I, when I started following Jesus, I, I uh, was, was challenged to become baptized. And I, if, you, if you follow Jesus and you haven't been baptized, I would challenge you, be baptized. Baptism is the clearest expression of, of, of physical water coming over our physical bodies. And, and I remember when, when, when I was entering into this, I was, just, uh, I was challenged and I was taught by a good Christian to say, you know, every, everything that's ever been done against you, all the bullying, all that defiling dream in first grade, everything that's come against you, when you go down into these waters, it's washing off of your body, it's washing off of your spirit, it's washing off of your mind. You're not subject to it anymore. It's not that I lost my memory, but it's my memory's lost power over me. Amen. In the same way, when you go down into that water, Andrew, every single, every single guy that you've ever used, every single person that you ever seduced so that they could make you feel something, all of that shame, all of that sin, it's going, it's going into that water, it's washing off of your body, it's washing off of your spirit. You're gonna stand justified, clean, forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. Not second tier, you know? I'm so thankful for, like, you know, for Jordan, you know, when, when she repented, uh, no one was looking at her and going, well, you know, uh, you, you can try to leave this guy behind, but you're probably always just gonna, you'll, you'll just be, an, just call yourself an adulterous Christian. Just call yourself that. Because you're always gonna feel that way. You're always gonna, yeah, that's always gonna be who you really are, but just try to do better. No one said that to her. 
I'm so thankful that no one looked at me and said to me, Andrew, you can repent. You're probably always going to be gay. You're probably just trying to make it with Jesus. Uh, but, you know, you're always going to want that, and that's always going to be who you are. No. Something radical happened when I died I died to my life of, of everything that came naturally to me, everything that naturally came and wounded me, everything that naturally came and deceived me. I died to it so I could raise again to be clean before Jesus and love with a clean love the very way that he loves his bride. He was empowering me to love uh, initially just, just the bride of Christ as the church and then eventually the woman that God put in front of me, right? No second tier. The church is in place where some Christians are better than others inherently. The, the cross of Jesus Christ lets us all die to what is of the world. And, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ means we are all resurrected to supernatural love. Amen? Amen. We're washed. You know, so that, so that happened in a moment in time. And, and what certainly didn't happen is that all my weaknesses and vulnerabilities and temptations went away. Hello? <laughs> Hello? It's not how it happened. I began to have to learn to live in the light. Uh, to, uh, to confess my sins. James says, uh, James 5, 16, confess your sins one to another, one to another, and pray for one another so that you can be healed. If you're stuck in sin in your life, I'm telling you, God has just given you a prescription. If you were sick and the doctor gave you a prescription and you didn't take it, you wouldn't blame the doctor that you weren't getting better. But Jesus made a prescription for us in our sickness of sin. Say, if you will bring it into the light every time, if you will confess it and you will receive prayer, I'm gonna guarantee you that there's gonna come a day where you get really sick of confessing the same old thing and you're gonna start to receive healing from that place in your soul to say, I have to keep the secret or else I'll be rejected. He's made a way. Another place that says, uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's just to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The way that we begin to regain our authority in our life with Jesus is to live in the light. You know, remember Adam and Eve, their whole thing was that they were naked and unashamed. We do it in the spirit when we say, nothing's hidden here. Come and search me, God, and, and some good friends of mine, you can ask me any question you want because I wanna live clean and pure. And I don't do it well, you know? I, you know, I could give you examples from like 15 years ago. That'd be nice and tidy, right? But I'll give you an example from two nights ago. We, we come in here. Uh, we fly in and we were staying in Dallas and uh, one of my kids gets up in the night, I'm helping them. And then I go to lay back down and go to sleep. And all of a sudden, the, these memories from my past, which is not, that's not really a thing for me anymore. Like I, I often am not like flooded with that. And I all of a sudden was just flooded with it. And, and I, was, I, I all of a sudden felt really tempted to just go, oh yeah, I remember that. And that was, that was kind of fun. But all of a sudden, and, uh, and again, the thing rose up in me. You know, it's hard when, it's, it was hard when I was first following Jesus because uh, I had so much sin to bring out. Now it's hard because it's like, oh, I should know better than that. I shouldn't want to go back to those ugly memories again. What's, you know, it's that same, that same message. Like, oh, what's wrong with you? You're a pastor now. What are, what are you going on? And same, same as, I, as I have had to do for 15 years, and it's actually my joy. I got out my phone and I, and I texted Andrew Bach again. I said, hey man, I just lay down and this is what happened. Pray for me, hold me accountable. Tomorrow morning, uh, ask me because I wanna tell you that I actually walked in a way that honored my wife, that honored my covenant, uh, and that's, because that's who I really am. And do you know what? I sent that text, I laid back down and I went to sleep. Because when, when, we, when, we bring, when we bring our sin or our temptation into light, that's the next level. You start bringing your sin, next level, just start bringing your temptation before it becomes sin. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4, take no part in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them and anything brought to the light is light. You'll have peace. Wow. 
I have peace. So Jesus washes us so we, we, we live clean from that shame of like, if they only knew that I did that. I'm gonna tell you, it doesn't matter what you've done 10 years ago, last night. It doesn't matter. Jesus has mercy for you today. You can live with a clean conscience and not a defiled conscience. You really can. It's available. So he washes us. He justifies us, justifies, uh, or sanctifies, that's the next, uh, he washes us and he sanctifies us. Sanctified is kind of a, a churchy word, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I'm sanctified, and what does that even mean? Uh, really simple, sanctified just means that, uh, that to set apart from profane things and to dedicate to God, to be set apart for the, from the things of this world and be dedicated to God. Uh, and actually the whole concept of sanctification, one of the first and uh, one of the primary ways uh, that we see it in scripture begins in Exodus chapter six, when God makes his promise to the children of Israel who were slaves in Egypt. So they were being a slave means they were defined by the Egyptians and their lives were dictated by the Egyptians, which is a, a picture, a type and shadow of the world that we live in, the worldly system. And God says, he says this to the children of Israel, I'm gonna take you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I'm gonna take you out from under the burden of the Egyptians and you're gonna serve me and me alone. And so being sanctified means that we are taken out. Again, remember Paul's saying, don't look to the worldly systems because the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you are taken out of the worldly system that seeks to put a label on you, that seeks to define you, that seeks to tell you what you have to do to feel loved, that what you have to do to feel like you matter and you have an identity and you have a belonging in society. I'm taking you out from all of that and I'm setting you apart to be defined by me and me alone, to serve me and me alone and to follow my vision of love and my vision of love alone. I've taken you out to serve me. You know, I was looking uh, today, I think currently uh, there are uh, 64 different expressions uh, of sexual identity and gender identity. And again, I wanna just challenge us in, in, in our own spirits. We, we, we are powerless if we're hearing someone's problems or we're thinking about our own lives and going, oh, Holy Spirit, show me which one of these 64 kind of identities is right for this person right now. And then maybe, and then maybe next week it'll be something different. We don't need to be buying into worldly labels. Occasionally people ask me, so would you say now, are you, are you homosexual? Are you bisexual? Are you heterosexual? I mean, I, and, and, and I answer them, do you know what my orientation is? Orientation means where are you going? My orientation is that I am following Jesus. I'm giving all of my love to him. And then because he's put a, a, a godly wife to walk alongside me, I give everything I am for her dignity, for her to look like Jesus and to be sharpened into all that she was created to be. That's my orientation. I don't care if your lust looks like it's for women, for men, for animal, whatever. Whatever the weird thing is for you. We all have weird, weird stuff. Our orientation is where we're going. And we're called to leave behind worldly labels and to say, I'm called to, to love Jesus with all of who I am and to love others with his love. That's what it means to be set apart set apart following his purposes. You know, so a couple years ago, uh, God began to stir in Jordan and I uh, a call to move and to go to Seattle, uh, which was really the only major city in the U.S. that Jordan and I had been there and we were like, I don't want to live there. <laughs> I love cities, but this place is kind of messed up. <laughs> which is, I, you know, you're all laughing because you know like, oh, as soon as you say that to God, you know what's about to happen, right? 
but you know, and it was hard. Our families lived there, our community that had walked us through uh, redemption and restoration. They were all there and we had this beautiful family now and we were getting to walk it out with these people who had walked with us. We had it made in the shade and we had fruitful ministry. And then God said, why don't you leave it all behind and go to a place where you know like two people and they're leading a church so they don't have time. <laughs> they make time for us, they're great, I'm not saying that. But, but really, you know, why don't you leave it all behind and do it again? And it reminded me uh, of, of, of back 15 years ago when, when I, I had to choose to leave behind every single person that I knew and when I began to bring uh, the, the, the truth of Jesus Christ and say, Jesus is calling me to walk in a different way. You know, my friends were like, you're crazy. You're, you're going crazy. You're getting brainwashed. And I had to look at them and say, yeah, I am getting brainwashed. Thank you, Jesus. My mind's getting clean from the way I've been thinking of myself for all these years. My mind's getting clean from sin and shame. And so I, I, so I had to leave everything. And, and when that happened, what I, what I began to understand is that Jesus wanted me right in that place so that he could show me that he was the one that loved me in the way that no other man could love me, no other person could love me. And just having him was enough. And then he brought me this community around me. He's like, let me do it again. When we actually walk away from stuff that's really hard to walk away from, we're set up to be, to be honed in for Jesus and his purposes. And he's gonna take care of your relational needs in the process, I can guarantee you. He's not gonna, he's not gonna leave you ultimately alone. You might be hungry sometimes. You might be hungry for more love. And that's when, and that's when you get to, to point yourself back to Jesus and say, you're able to do this. You are able. You're able to secure me again, right? So he washes us. He sanctifies us. And then lastly, it says that you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. When I think of being justified, I think about that posture I kind of talked about earlier where for so many years I was so bent into my feelings. I was so bent in and alive to what the world said about me to what my feelings said about me. And then the image I kind of see when I think about being justified is, is Jesus causing me to go from being bent down like this to just standing upright as a son of God, not bent in toward, towards my, my feelings, my emotions, and, and other people's thoughts. Say, so stand upright. Stand upright, and then, and then you can offer yourself to others out of an overflow. Not for what they make you feel, but out of the overflow of showing them my love. You have my love overflowing to pour into them. And uh, I think I most powerfully saw this when I was dating Jordan. And uh, she, uh, she said something one time. We were kind of getting serious. And uh, I think we were saying, I love you, which is like a big deal. And, uh, and then we were, I, I still remember where we were. We were, uh, we were in this parking lot in the car. And, I, and, and she just said to me, she said, you know what, Andrew? I love you. I do. But God's just been showing me, like, I'm never going to love you as much as I love Jesus. And you're never going to love me as much as Jesus loves me. Like, I think you're a neat guy. But really, what, what, she, what, what she was saying is, remember her, her past relationship where she was all consumed with this guy and how he was going to love her and make her feel. And she was saying, that's not, that, that was never the thing. This relationship was never supposed to be all consuming. Jesus has caused, caused me to stand upright. So I see myself in his eyes. I, 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 can, I, I can be loved with his love. And then I just get to love you because you're a neat guy and Jesus loves you. And I get to show you that. She was standing upright, and I thought, marry me. <laughs> right? 
in our marriages. I mean, many of you, you know how often in our marriages we actually looking to that spouse that has been God's provision for us, but we start to say, you know, it's on you to make, to make, me, to make me feel X, Y, Z. It's on you to do the dishes and I'll do the laundry so we make it all work out. And, and really, you know, there's such a dignity even today when we start to stand upright and say, this isn't about what you do for me. This is about me offering the love of Jesus and standing in his love and his mercy towards you. Amen? Amen. And again, uh, it, it can be hard sometimes, you know? Uh, so again, I could, I could share stories from 15 years ago, but, you know, uh, earlier, earlier this year, uh, I, I went through a time where there was a, a particular friendship in my life, and, and never, the friendship never crossed boundary lines and became sinful, but this particular friend, I just, uh, I just kind of, in my spirit, I started to, to like, obsess a little bit. And, and what happened, this, this guy, this friend, a uh, good guy, uh, but he had similar, similar wounds to me. Like he had some abandonment stuff in his life. I have abandonment stuff in my life. And, and he, he got that. And he made me feel like, I, I, like someone else really got that. And he had some similar temptation to mine. And he was starting a business. I was starting to plant this church. So really like the challenges of life were kind of the, similar for us. But it, it stopped becoming a friendship where it was just about sharpening one another and pointing them to Jesus. And it started to become a friendship that was like, you make me feel better and I, and I can commiserate with you about how, how hard life is and it's hard for you and I'm sorry and your life's hard too and I'm sorry. And, and so God had to justify me again. Jesus had to kind of snap me up and he did it through my wife. I'm so thankful for my wife who just kind of said, Andrew, what's going on with this friendship? Like you're confused here. You're not a guy who just looks to a, to a friend to commiserate. You're, you're, you're someone who's sharpened to Jesus' purposes in the earth, who's going forward, who's not looking inside and saying, who can make me feel better? Like, stop that. Thank you, Jesus. It, it really, when she had the conversation, it was like kind of in a moment in time, Jesus kind of snapped me upright to go, oh yeah, what, what, what am I doing? I'm called to something better. And I wonder, you know, this, uh, in 1 Corinthians 6 that we just read, it wasn't just sexual stuff that Paul's talking about. He talks about uh, alcoholism, you know? And I just want to ask, like, what are you kind of bending in towards that's kind of just coping with your pain? Where are you just maybe a little bit bent over? And I want to say today, the mercy of Jesus is available and that the justification of Jesus is able today just kind of snap you upright and go, that's not what I'm called to. Grace, grace, we all do it, but it's like, that's not what I'm called to. I'm running forward. I'm not looking back. I'm running forward. So Jesus, uh, Jesus has this way uh, of forgiving our sin, washing us, of justifying us, uh, of sanctifying us and calling us out of worldly systems and into his vision of love so that we can be the church to shine with the love of Jesus so that we're not just saying, I'm gonna tell you who don't follow Jesus what's right and wrong for you, but we can say, no, come love the way I'm learning to love. I don't have it figured out. Jesus still has to forgive my sin. Jesus still has to set me apart. Jesus still has to make me stand upright so that I'm not bending in toward the things of this world. But, but come with me while I follow Jesus. His love really does never fail. His love really does never fail. And, and, and his pow the power of his Holy Spirit never stops being enough to grow me uh, beyond what is human into what is supernatural. What is supernatural, amen? So it doesn't matter where you start from today. Jesus, he didn't come to condemn the world, right? He came to save the world. So wherever you're at today, I really believe that there's just a way he wants to pour out his love to cause us to stand a little bit cleaner, 
cause us to stand a little more set apart, to cause us to stand a little more upright, standing up, not bending in to what the culture says, not bending in to what our flesh wants to do, standing up, sharp in our love, bright in our love. You know, uh, in my Bible reading right now, I've been reading about the life of David. And sometimes I think, you know, we're kind of hard on these Bible characters. Like, I, you know, I hear sometimes people are like, oh, Job, he was so complaining and God still loved him. I'm like, I would be doing myself some complaining if everything happened to me that happened to him. Uh, but in reading the life of David and reading about his fall into sexual sin, that was one of those things I'm like, are people kind of too hard on David? And then I read this, and I was like, this is messed up. Like, this is really messed up. And, and the mercy of God still came to him, right? And David prayed this prayer that I think is just God's heart for us today. He said, God, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. That word create, same word uh, about how God created the earth. So if you're here today and you're like, yeah, my life has been a mess and I have wounds that I haven't dealt with, whatever, like, how do I get there? Well, how did God create the world? God speaks and life happens. He's not asking you to go through 12 steps of psychological gymnastics to get to a place of security. He speaks and he can create a clean heart in you today. If you've been kind of muddied with what the world is saying, he can speak and clear your mind up today. He can speak and renew a, a spirit of steadfastness in you so you don't lose heart. You don't grow weary in doing good. Say, I'm gonna run this race to love you with all of my mind, heart, soul, and strength. I'm gonna run this race to love my spouse as you love her or him. I'm gonna run this race to handle my, my singleness with holiness and for the good of the bride of Jesus Christ and not for my own selfish pleasure. He can renew that spirit of steadfastness in us today. So I want you to stand up. We're all gonna stand together. And I just want us to make space. The ministry team's gonna go forward. And uh, I wanna ask you all today, again, I hope you didn't hear all this today and just think, oh, that helps me with my talking point with my neighbor three doors down. I hope you're like, Jesus, where do I need more revelation of who I am? Where do I need more revelation of where I'm called to? And, uh, and, and like I was saying, I think, Jesus meets us by his spirit, but he also meets us through other people. Our sexuality is the part of us that says, it's not good to be alone. I need someone who can, who can be the hands and feet of Jesus and I can, that I can have pray with me so that I can have more healing and more freedom in my life. So I wanna encourage you and even challenge you. You might think your sin is a level 10 and no one else could really understand. Or you might think that your sin's a level one and you're really doing okay, but that one thing is kind of, it is there. Just come, come forward. Have one of these friends pray with you. Or if you don't feel like you need someone to pray with you, just come to this area and just kneel before God. Let's present ourselves to God and say, God, God, I'm sorry where I've gotten confused because of this world we live in. I'm sorry where I've just lived kind of bent down because of, because of bad things that have happened to me. I'm sorry of where I haven't loved well because I've been, I've been compromised in sin. Will you come? Just come. Come and let's just bring ourselves to Jesus and say, hey, I'm not here, I'm not here to, to tell you why I did the things that I did. I'm here to just say, Jesus, I need your mercy. It doesn't even have to be something that's about sexuality. If you need God to move in your life, his is the love that never fails and I believe he wants to meet you today. So let's just come and, and bring ourselves into the presence of Jesus today.
Let's close our, close our eyes. I just want to pray out over us as we begin this time to respond to the Lord. Jesus, we look to you today. You who have given everything for us. You who stretched out your hands. You who endured wounds. You who were pierced for our transgressions, wounded for our iniquities. That you who were wounded so that we could be healed. We look to you today. And we thank you for the blood that came out of your side that is for our cleansing. We thank you for the water that came out of you that cleans our minds and our hearts. And we just say we need it today, Jesus. We don't come to you as the ones who have it all together. We're coming to you as the ones saying, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinful man. Jesus Christ, have mercy. We need you. Jesus, would you meet us here? And I just see the Lord bringing a, a gentle rain of his presence, his mercy, his forgiveness, his cleansing. You know, I walked out of, of our place this morning and there was just this real gentle mist. It's like the Lord, uh, he, he's not berating. He's just raining down the gentleness of his spirit, reminding us of who we are, reminding us of his perfect love. So Jesus, we receive today perfect love that casts out our fear. Your perfect love that, that, that washes away our brokenness, our wounds. Come Holy Spirit. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Passion and Purpose, a podcast with Jimmy Seibert and the Antioch Movement. For more information, please visit jimmycybert.com and antioch.org. We'll see you next time.